I want every training session to be harder than what you're going to face or what you're going to see in a game. Mm. I want it to be harder mentally. I want it to be harder physically so that when you go out there and you see an in-game guy that's throwing 92, I want you to think, man, this isn't so bad. This is way easier than some of the velocity we've seen off the machine or, or in a cage from a shorter distance or whatever. Hey, and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us. Today's show features Trent Otis, co-founder of Zona Baseball. The bulk of Trent and I's conversation consists of how we develop hitters within a team setting, but we also go over what he looks for in a swing and his advice on what we can do to help kids own their career and be more self-sufficient. Ladies and gentlemen, I love this conversation with Trent Otis. Trent Otis, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Can you start by telling our listeners a little bit about your story and why you decided to get into coaching? So I, I played uh, played at uh, Division Two Grand Canyon University here in Phoenix and uh, played a little independent ball um, after that for a couple of years, but really my talent level kind of, I don't know if it was my talent level dried up or my skill set dried up, but uh, I didn't have a, a very successful professional career. I was doing some things that uh, that I was taught that I thought would been would make me successful, and it ended up making my career a lot shorter than maybe it could have been. But always on my teams, I was always a guy that people would go to. Hey, how do you how do you feel about this part of the swing or whatever? And my degree was in uh, exercise science, so I had a little bit of a background in biomechanics and how that worked and. So I was kind of always the go-to for swing stuff on on our teams, and uh, or or maybe a go in, a go between. So when I got done playing, it was pretty natural for me to get into coaching and started coaching at a, at, a, at a high school. From there, we did the summer deal, summer teams, and and did some club stuff in the summer. But we really didn't feel I didn't really feel like we were getting good player development out of it. I mean, our high school teams were successful, and as we continued to work with them. They were flourishing, but then these summer teams that we would coach would just be, you know, ride a lineup and sit on a bucket and really didn't think that development was, you know, at the forefront of what we were doing there. So that's when we started Zona Baseball Instruction. My partner, um, who was the head coach at Greenway High School, Matt Denny, and I started Zona Baseball Instruction to really just get into more individual and group instruction to, you know, help develop players more at the individual level and uh, at the small group level, kind of like what we were doing with our high school guys that we were seeing a lot of success with. So um, that's kind of my background. When I did get into coaching, obviously, like a lot of other people, I just you know coached what, what I knew and what I did. And about three or four years into it, I had a eye-opening experience when, it, when we were doing a drill and one of my high school guys said, hey, why are we doing this? And I didn't have an answer for him that made any sense to either one of us. So that's when I really started diving into what am I doing? What am I saying? What am I looking at? What am I teaching? And as a hitting coach for the high school, I went back and pretty much tried to forget everything that I knew about hitting and start from the ground, like as if I was somebody completely new to a sport. And every word I said and every drill that we did had to have purpose and had to have and had to make sense to the hitter and to myself and to the other coaches. And so that's kind of where I, where I was and where I am now is just continuing to try to make sure everything that I do makes sense 
backed up by video, is backed up by common sense and and uh, biomechanical movement. Oh, that's great! And we share something that you just said, and I think that that's a healthy healthy fear of not being able to ask or answer a question that a kid asks us. And I think that that's something that you know from the start of my coaching career, and it sounds like from the start of your coaching career, that's driven us to uh, be better. Would that be pretty accurate? Yeah, that's absolutely accurate. You know, and, and it was it was a little difficult. I almost felt a little bit on a power trip when we started over um, as far as the, what we were teaching in the swing because I was, I don't, I don't know if I was constantly scolding assistant coaches, but when an assistant coach would yell something from the dugout like, hey, keep your hands back or keep this or keep that, I'm like, what is, tell me what that means. Tell me what you mean by that. And have you talked with this specific player about that? Because if you don't, then you're just yelling a random cue that you've heard in a dugout, mm-hmm. and it has no basis to what's going to actually help this guy in in, in the next in the next pitch he's going to see. So, you know, it was it was a little bit different at the beginning because every word that came out of our mouth that had to do with hitting, we had to think about. But you know, obviously that's healthy in the long run. It's just hard to do and it's scary to do because you know how many times have you been in a dugout? And you say, get started earlier, or get started later, or whatever the cue is. So, Oh, definitely. So let's go ahead and start digging into the uh, development side. And you're one of my favorite guys to follow on Twitter, just because you do know the swing. But you've also incorporated that into a team setting, which is a, what a lot of our listeners are trying to do as well. So start in the fall and, you know, just talk to us about where we should start, what we should be focusing on, and maybe some things that we should be measuring. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Like I said before, we started with a team. So when we were really trying to develop the swing in a team setting, I ran into the same, we ran into the same problems that almost every team coach does. Man, this is great. If I had this kid one-on-one for 20 minutes, I think I could really do some things with him. But now I have 25 guys and we have you know, an hour and a half to hit. And it's just doesn't make any sense to work on this individual skill. So we really stopped and broke it down and said, there's got to be a better way to develop players in a team setting. And, and uh, what we did was, it didn't make sense. The traditional practice offensive portion of practice, baseball practice didn't make sense. You know, you set up your, your four groups and group one starts live and group two's in the cages and group three and four are shagging. And then you just rotate every day based on, you know, what group starts where. And so we said, if we want to do something, if we want to actually change some of the movements in these, in these players swings, and we actually want to see some development and success, some success, then we're going to need to actually work on drills and actually work on, you know, movement prep. And, and we all need to be there to be able to, to see that because when the kids, when the, when the group three or whatever was in the cages, I'm throwing BP. And as the main hitting coach, I don't even see what drills are going on over there. Maybe our pitching coach is over there. Maybe nobody's over there. That's when we started with the vitals. And, and for, for us, our vital work is the stuff that's important to the whole. So anything that's vital is the small parts that are important pieces to make up the big picture. And so that's all of our offensive drill work. So we decided that before we went into any live session of BP or whatever, we were going to do our drill work and we would set aside about 45 minutes or 50 minutes and every coach and every player would go into the cage and we would set up kind of like a circuit is the best way I can explain it, you know, on this. 
is we'd set up a a circuit with the different drills and then each coach would be kind of monitoring a station and we just kind of sometimes freely rotate. Sometimes we'd, you know, have four or five minutes at a station and rotate. But the key to that was every vital session had an objective and every player, as we walked over there, we would have a short five, 10 minute session to make sure they understand what we were trying to accomplish in that vital session. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like, hey, we're just trying to hit. And as a team, let's just get better at hitting. That's just too broad when you're talking about individual instruction. We said, hey, you know, the objective of this drill is to accomplish this. The objective of this is to accomplish this. As a whole, here's what we're working on. And and so that's kind of how we set up our our team session in order to make it function for, you know, individual development with, you know, 25 players at a time. And then from that that vital session, then we could take it out onto the field and hit live. Now all of our drill work is done, all of our flips, all of our prep work, our PBC work, all that's already done. Now we're just executing it on the field, seeing how it feels, seeing how it plays out, you know, and then as a team coach, it was great for our for our head coach because now everybody's there. Every coach is there, every player's there. We can do base running, we could do some team defense stuff, we could turn double plays, you know, everybody's everybody's all on the field and it it, it led to a lot of positive outcomes for the team. No, I really like that a lot, and I think that that is some great organization. So you talked about the uh, movement before you guys went on, out onto the onto the field. Were these individuals prescribed certain drills based on their needs, or did you just kind of throw them all at them at once and then start to curtail them to their individual styles or whatever? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, in the beginning, in the fall, kind of going back to the you know answering the second part of that question you asked, you know, how do you start this in the fall? It, it is a little bit generic in the fall as far as, you know, we talk about the meat and potatoes of the swing or kind of the basic four building blocks of how we build the swing. And it's basically four pieces of, of criteria that we really look for that we think that, you know, every elite hitter does and does well. And that's getting into the legs, the load, the rear hip control, Number one, number two, the movement and timing of the load, the upper body load and, and, and the timing of that. So what you're doing with your upper body and your hands and the load and, and, and when you're doing it. Number three, the connection of the swing when the hands, the back hip and the back shoulder are launched together, line up together, um, at contact. And then lastly, um, a hand pivot or a hand swivel. And what your hands should actually be doing and in, in, in being able to turn the barrel as opposed to pull or push the barrel. So we start in the fall when we first see some of these hitters for the first time. We start going through all of that just as a group. So in the beginning, I don't want to say it's generic, but it is kind of cookie cutter as far as, hey, we want to see how all of these guys hit with an open stance. You know, we want to see how they all load into their rear leg, whether they coil or whether they hinge. And we're learning things every time we do that set of drills. Okay, this this hitter is very successful in this, and this hitter is not very successful. Okay, this hitter is very connected. This hitter doesn't really understand hand pivot. And in going through the beginning stages of that and going through the process as a whole team, now we're starting to be able to see you know, strengths and weaknesses in individual hitters, which in the long run does lead to grouping and does lead to more personalization of the drill sets, 
um, the objectives for each hitter or small groups. So it is a little bit, hey, we all kind of do the same thing together. We're all learning it together because, you know, the swing, actually launching the swing from a perfect position, really, to me, I don't want to say it's it's simple, but it's it's not as hard as some people make it out to be. It's getting into that position on time that's hard. And understanding it is probably the most difficult part of hitting. So when we go through that whole process, it's a lot of learning and understanding the movements and what they're trying to accomplish and what they're trying to feel and what body parts move and where. And so just by going through that, the whole team's kind of learning together and feeling it out and teaching each other also. And that, yeah, and that, then that does lead to, you know, more of the personalization of the program and the routine and what they're trying to work on. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. I, I like that approach because you've got, you know, player X, high school kid who's, you know, not as successful as he wants to be, but maybe a little bit hesitant to change anything. And so it's, it's easy to have that conversation of, hey, young man, are you as successful as you want to be? And they're like, well, uh, you know, I could be more successful. Well, let's try all this stuff out. Let's fit it into your own style, and maybe you take one or two things away from what we're doing and add it to what you're doing to make you a little bit better. So I really like that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the other thing it does is as they're going home and, and you know, journaling or taking notes on, on the sessions that we did, now they're taking ownership of their development. They're saying, okay, I was, I'm, I'm really, really good at this drill. I'm really good at, you know, closed off hitting. And, and I really feel good connection when I go to the opposite field when I'm closed off. Well, in the, in the long run, those pieces are going to be vital for their development. And also, when they go and they do a drill, uh, maybe a specific constraint, and they swing and miss the first five times with a hand block wall, now they're starting to say, well, how come, you know, this guy over here and this guy over here are absolutely crushing balls? And I'm swinging and missing at the exact same drill. Mm-hmm. And now that's really eye-opening because instead of me saying, hey, I don't, I don't think your hands pivot very well, that's great. But if they think they do, they're not going to change anything. They don't trust me. They don't believe what I'm saying just yet until they actually get in there and feel some of these constraints. And then they're like, oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. I see exactly what that feels like now. And now I'm understanding that I need to make some of these changes in order to be more successful. So it really gives them ownership of their own development as well. Right. And the use of of your constraint and the use of your, you know, your external cues that we use are really eye-opening to the kids because it's not just they may have a great relationship with you, but it's not just here's what I see versus here's what you think's going on. It's oh man, uh now I feel it. And then once and, you get them to that point, you win. Yeah, uh, I I love constraints for a lot of reasons and one of the reasons is what you just said right there i mean how many players that have been really successful players and are really good coaches that can't teach their own kids mm-hmm. you know i've had ex big leaguers bringing their kids to some of our hitting sessions because they say well i know what i know what he's doing wrong but he just won't listen to me you know and that's something that dads and and you know sons or daughters run into and that's why one of the reasons I love constraints and my players love constraints is because now we're on the same team and now it's not me against you. And I'm telling you what I want to see in your swing and okay, you're not doing it. You're not doing it. And now you're not trying to fight with them, but there is this battle. 
you know, my kid's not old enough quite to have that battle yet, but I see it all the time with dads that know what they're doing, but just can't get across to their kid because of that coach versus dad barrier. So with constraints, what the great part about it is, it's no longer me against you and trying to teach this swing. It's me and you against this constraint. And so now we're on the same team and we're trying to accomplish of how do we overcome whatever this constraint is, whether it's a physical constraint or whether it's a mental constraint. How do we get over this while working together and executing the swing the way that we want to do it? So it's, you know, it's no longer, it's no longer me against you. It's, it's us against the constraint. And now we both have ownership of how, how are we going to get across? How are we going to beat this? No, Trent, I'm right there with you. And I can tell you firsthand being the son of a big leaguer that played with Stargell and Clemente and guys like that, that I didn't listen to my dad either. And looking back on it, I'm like, God, I was such an idiot. But it's for the dads out there who are having trouble with that. It's not your fault. I mean, it's it's really not. And I don't want to stay on this subject for too long, but don't take it too personal whenever that happens, because I did the same thing. And now looking back, I'm like, God, that's that was I was an idiot. But you know what? I mean, it is important to understand the dynamic between that. So that you can overcome it because whether it's a dad or a head coach, there's still sometimes those blocks because when a head coach is out there on the field and he's ripping somebody for making a base running mistake and then the next day he goes into the cage and he's trying to help that same hitter with their swing, sometimes there's those blocks that's not going to let that let that hitter listen and trust either that head coach or that hitting coach because of the conversation that was you know, completely set aside from this actual hitting instruction, but there is some of that actual, you know, that barrier between either head coaches and and hitters or, you know, dads and sons. So that's why constraints are awesome for that because it it can really, you know, build that trust and say, okay, now we're, we're on the same page. We're both looking, you know, to go in the same direction as far as the swing is concerned. Oh, definitely. I love how you put that. And so I've been trying to take a different approach this year. And like you mentioned, external cues and constraint training and really trying to either come up with a game or try and measure as much as I can. So is there anything important that you've come across that we should be measuring? Well, I don't have a ton of, you know, technology and resources working at the high school. You know, we have a pocket radar that we do some initial exit velocities off a tee just to see, you know, some just for some tracking. But long time ago, I read a book. Anson Durant's uh, was the is the head uh, women's soccer coach at North Carolina. Is a legendary coach. He's won awesome. like seven, 17 national championships or something dumb. But one of the things that I got from his book that I read a long time ago was, and I thought this was crazy and brilliant at the same time was in his soccer practices or his soccer training sessions, they tracked everything. So they tracked every single pass and every single drill and every single shot and they tracked everything. And I said, well, how could, how could we do that? Obviously, how could we do that in a baseball setting? And so we started tracking BP and we started making it a competition. So we chart every single one of our live BP sessions. And at the end of the day, depending on what we were, what our objective was for that BP session, 
we'll add up points and we'll actually have a, a winner of BP. So every almost every one of our BP sessions is competition. Mm-hmm. So when we're in season, maybe we're just trying to you know hit balls off the right center field wall. Maybe that's the only objective for that day. Well, you get a point for every time you know you hit a ball on a line to right center or hit a ball over the right center field wall or whatever it is. And at the end of the day, you know, you could see who was successful in that. And that kind of leads you to, hey, okay, maybe we need some more of this or maybe we need a little bit less of this or whatever it is. But we track everything in BP. And that has been really, really successful for us as coaches because now we know, you know, where we're going the next day as far as objectives or the next week is what we want to work on, how our team was successful in those, but also for the individual players it helps keep them engaged. There's not just, hey, we're doing five rounds of five today and let's just go up there and hit. Okay, you didn't execute that, big deal. You know what I mean? Okay, it, that was a, you know, a, a scoreum, you know, runner on third base less than two outs. This is a scoreum round and you were only one for five. Okay, no big deal, let that go. And now the player has no ownership of whether they were successful or not. So when it comes in game, you know, and you're in the top of the seventh and you need to score that runner from third base, there's no ownership to it. You've never held them accountable, but now all of a sudden, with everybody watching, you know, his teammates relying on him, now all of a sudden he has to be successful and accountable for it, and he's never been accountable for it um, leading up to that point in time. Well, I love that, and I love the idea that you mentioned just measurement is motivation, and it puts a little pressure on them to perform in any given situation as well. But you're talking about Anson Dorrance, and the guy is unbelievable. Anson Dorrance, he's the uh, soccer coach at North Carolina, and he wrote a couple of books. And one of my things this summer is going to be how do we – one of his big things is called the competitive cauldron, as Trent mentioned just a minute ago. And they measure everything, like wins, losses, uh, how they did in each – every single drill – and so I'm going to try and take some time this summer to figure out how we can do that in a baseball setting uh, like like Trent mentioned just a minute ago. But if uh, if any of you guys out there listening have any advice regarding that, I would love to hear it. But a great book, and, and I agree, that dude is unbelievable. He does a great job. And the other the other thing that I stole from him, and, and this, you know, kind of going – going along with how we run our training sessions is I want I want every training session to be harder than what you're going to face or what you're going to see in a game. Mm-hmm. I want it to be harder mentally. I want it to be harder physically so that when you go out there and you see an in-game guy that's throwing 92, I want you to think, man, this isn't so bad. Right? This is this is way easier than some of the velocity we've seen off the machine or, or in a cage from a shorter distance or whatever. So it kind of breeds confidence in, in in-game settings as opposed to Man, there's a lot of pressure. This guy's really good. We've never we've never faced anybody this tough, you know. And so, and he's he did a lot of that with putting a lot of unneeded pressure and stress and and you know outside uh, chaos and stuff on his on his players, so that when they were in the game and they were faced with those pressure situations, that they were more adept at handling it. And uh, obviously, he's had a ton of success with that. And we, and we found that. You know, if we put a lot of pressure on our guys in practice and training sessions and 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 we made training harder than the actual games, that it really helped them relax and be successful when when, you know, pressure did come in a game. Definitely. And so talk to us about, you know, the kids that you guys get to work with and what are some of the most common problems that you see with those kids and how can we fix those? Not really age dependent is what I've I've seen. 
I, I thought, you know, hey, you know, these major league guys that I'm working with, they're going to be a lot better at this aspect or this aspect. And it, it really isn't necessarily age dependent. It's just sometimes when we're raised and trained and hitting, we're all trained the exact same. And it's not, this is a big thing that I got from Eugene. It's not right. Everything's not right for everybody. And so if you're telling somebody to fire their back hip to start their swing, now all of a sudden, if that's not what that player needed, if that player needed to hold his hip back, now all of a sudden you got a majorly disconnected swing. And that's what I see a lot of, you know, players when they're, you know, younger players, when they come in, they're majorly disconnected. They're taught early hip rotation and keep your hands back. And so... I see them flying open with their lower half and trying to stride open and fly their hips and clear their hips and just hold their hands back. And now you're left with a complete a swing that's completely out of sequence. And they, they have to be dependent upon their upper body to try to generate bat speed because their lower body is already turned out of the way and gone. And so it's completely disconnected. So that's a, that's a major flaw that I see. Another major flaw that I see going back kind of to the to the meat and potatoes of the swing is the timing of the load and, and what we're actually trying to accomplish with the load. Um, a lot of players as they're younger taught, you know, get the load done and get the front foot down early so that you can see the pitch for a long time. And all that leads to is a completely rushed swing because you end up with zero stretch in your swing. You know, it's like, it's like that rattlesnake that's coiled up and ready to strike. And as soon as that rattlesnake strikes, it has to be from that completely coiled up position. As soon as that snake would start leaking forward and start creeping forward towards its target, now all of a sudden he's he's losing the energy to strike. And so that's kind of the way I explain it. And and it's really not a difficult concept. It's just often mis misleading to a lot of people, and they don't really pay attention to the timing of the load. And uh, one of the things I got from Ryan Parker was, he would always have people, hey, try to do a big leg kick and do a big hand load and show me what that looks like to you. And then he would kind of gain, we'd gain understanding of what the player is actually, you know, thinking is happening is, is often the biggest mistake in the swing. It's not, they're, they're doing exactly what they're trying to do. They just don't know the timing of it. You know, their, their, their leg kick comes up and their hands go straight back into the load position. So then when their leg stretches out and they actually stride, their hands are coming forward with their front leg and they lose all the stretch and they lose all the slack in their swing and they ended up just pulling, trying to pull the barrel to the ball and, and, uh, leads to a lot of, a lot of weak upper body dominant swings. And so obviously a lot of people think, you know, hand pivot, you know, oh, they're, they have a pushy swing. They, you know, they pull the barrel, they don't turn the barrel, they don't pivot their hands, but, to me, once you take care of the connection of the swing, once you take care of getting the slack out of the swing and having a proper stretch, the barrel really pivots on its own if you just know the concept of what you're trying to do with it. Oh, that's fantastic. And I think that that, you know, helps with the next question that I'm about to ask you, which is adjustability. Swing guys get a bad reputation for just training the swing. And, you know, they, they say, hey, we have to train hitters too. But how do we train the swing and then going back to, you know, how do we train hitters as well? So how do we train adjustability? How do we train adaptation? And how do we work that into our, you know, daily routines? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, the main goal of a hitting instructor, whether you're 
you know, a high school or college hitting instructor, professional hitting instructor at a team level or at an individual level, level, your major goal should be able to make them successful in the game. I mean, otherwise, I mean, what are we doing? Right. And so if that, if that's your main goal, I think that adjustability is something that you work on every day. Being able to launch your swing at an instant's notice and, and timing is a huge aspect. I used to, I used to cop out and say, well, you know, timing is your inner clock. We can't really teach timing. You know, that's something you just have to work and figure out. And it's kind of a cop out for a hitting coach to say that because in my opinion, you have to teach a swing that is dictated by the launch by the brain. In my opinion, the brain is always on time. When a ball is coming at you, and you need to catch that ball. You could catch that ball closer to your face, or you could catch that ball further out from your face. From your face, your brain is always on time. It knows when to launch. Your swing sometimes just isn't synced up with that launch. Mm-hmm. So being able to be adjustable and being able to have a good in-game approach and an in-game swing and success on you know in in, in live action should be the goal of any coach. And so having a swing and training a swing that can be launched by the brain by a decision, you know, we're all taught yes, 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 no, or yes, 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 yes. But that actually has to match up with how you're teaching the swing. You know, if you're teaching a ton of forward movement, if you're teaching, you know, launch, you know, stride and shift and then hold your hands back to adjust to the breaking ball, that doesn't really match up with your yes, 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 no approach, you know, and what you're teaching them. I have a hundred, I have, I have hundreds of drills. And that may be good, bad, or indifferent. I don't know. But I have a ton of drills. And I think the variation of those drills to teach the same concept also helps with that. Because then we can use different size bats, different length bats, PVC pipes, whatever it is. And also different drills for you know connection or hand pivot or whatever. I have 25, 35, 40 drills for each of those sections. And so you're not just, you know, constantly hammering one drill for, you know, hand pivot, let's say. Oh, we're just going to do this one drill. And in doing that, you're going to learn hand pivot. Well, that's great, but that doesn't make you very adjustable or dynamic. But if you could do 40 drills that are really focused on hand pivot and you can execute them all at different height pitches, PVC work, mirror work, then progressing to a T, then progressing to front flips then progressing to live BP. You know what I mean? If you can make that all flow and do those progressions, now you're adjustable. And also in, in, in our team series, we have an entire folder of drills just focused on dynamic adjustability. You know what I mean? Being able to launch the swing at a moment's notice, being able to adjust to breaking balls and, and uh, change-ups, uh, being able to adjust to velocity being able to shut your swing down at the last second. All those things are vital to being a good end game hitter. And then taking it out onto the field, like I said before, in tracking, what do you call it? The, it's called a, a, the com, uh, pe- competitive... Competitive cauldron? Yeah, the competitive cauldron. So, you know, on our on our sheet that we're tracking, we're tracking how many barrels. So you hit a you hit a ground ball to the shortstop. Okay, that's probably going to be a six three or a six four three in a game. But you barreled that ball up. You get a point for that barrel because in the long run, the more barrels that we catch, the more successful that we're going to be when we're actually in game. So 
you know, I think just incorporating a lot of different aspects to hitting. Um, and also for me, progressions, taking it from, okay, PVC pipe. Now you're successful off the tee. Let's take it to flips. Okay. Now we struggled a little bit back in flips. Let's go back. Let's fix it on the tee. Let's go back. Okay. Now we're successful in flips. Let's go forward and go to live BP or, or whatever it is. Perfect. And you mentioned a couple of my favorite things, which are PVC pipes. And I think those are an invaluable tool, especially when we're trying to inhibit some change. So what are some of your other favorite drills that don't involve a bat? Mirror work. I love getting in the mirror and, 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 and having the hitters see what I'm seeing as a, as an instructor, as I'm sitting there looking at it, I'm like, well, that's pretty obvious, but sometimes what you feel isn't real. Right. So being able to get in a mirror and actually seeing what you're doing uh, is huge. I do a lot of TheraBand work as well. One of the things that we do for TheraBand work is not only do I want to, you know, like a constraint, I want to block something that maybe I don't want to happen. So if let's say for instance, the player's not pulling the slack out of their swing before they launch it, right? They're, they're kind of loose with that front elbow and, and it's going to cause their hands to pull the barrel. Not only will we put a, a, a TheraBand on their hands or on the, you know, in between their hands on the, on the handle and pull that slack out of their swing for them and feel, they, they could feel, okay, that's what it feels like to have the slack out of my swing and launch, but also going back the other direction and trying to pull the slack out of their swing and having them fight against it. So kind of exasperating their problem so that they can feel, oh my gosh, I feel what I feel what that TheraBand is doing to my hands. Mm-hmm. So how do I stop that? Because that's really what they're trying to do. So if you always just help them, they're never really fixing that problem. You're always fixing it for them. So going in there and actually pulling on their hands they have to feel, okay, well, how do I stop that? He's pulling on my hands, you know, from the, like, like I'm, I'm in the pitcher's position and I'm pulling on that handle and he's having to maintain the slack out of a swing. Now you're going to see them start to dig into the ground a little bit more with their feet, start to use the ground more as, as leverage. They're going to start to posture a little bit better in order to kind of counteract the force that's pulling on them. They're going to start engaging their core a little bit better especially on the back side of their rear oblique. And and now all of a sudden, you just got into some huge aspects of how they're going to create power without really telling them, hey, try to get more powerful. All you're doing is trying to exasperate their problem and they're trying to fix it. So I love TheraBands um, for, you know, for a couple of reasons. And then obviously the PVC pipes, we use those all the time. I think they're they're great for being able to, you know, um, work through some movements and, and uh feel it slow before you go in and actually take a full swing. Right. And I, and I don't know if you've, if you've had this problem as well, once kids get the bat back in their hand, they kind of fall into the same patterns that they were in just because they've been swinging a bat shaped the exact same for, you know, 18 years. And so getting another implement in their hand, just, you know, like we were talking about earlier, constraint training and, and this could go into underload and overload stuff, but, uh, just getting a different implement in their hand just helps so much because it helps them feel something different. And that's just something that, that I've taken away from, you know, and we talk about PVC pipes a lot, but that's why. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing is it gives, it gives you guys a, 
a, a, you, uh, the hitter and the hitting instructor, it gives you a common ground. So if you, it gives you something that's, you know, that you've both experienced and that you could draw back on. So, you know, we do the, the PVC pipe, we put it on the shoulders and hold it with both hands and we really work on tilt as opposed to flying out, you know, try to kind of let the shoulders tilt up towards center field a little bit better with the PVC pipe on their back, on their shoulders, excuse me. And then all of a sudden when you go into flips or you're going into live BP and you see them start to get really rotational again with their shoulders and they, they start turning, you know, the shoulders more parallel to the ground as opposed to getting tilt. It's a very easy external or a very easy verbal cue, excuse me, a very easy verbal cue to say, Hey, remember when the PVC pipe was on your shoulders and you turned that back part of the PVC pipe to the ground? Think about that this next round. And all of a sudden, they have that to draw back on. Okay, now they're now they're putting their bat on their shoulders like it is a PVC pipe, and it's a real quick, easy feel fix for them going into their next round of BP or their next at-bat. And now it's something that is actually a cue that's personalized as opposed to just some random cue. Hey, don't fly out. Yeah, well, no kidding, don't fly out. But I just, my shoulders are flying open. Of course, I'm, not, I'm trying not to fly open. I need a little bit more guidance than that. And that's why those those pieces are, are great for that. Definitely. And you mentioned this earlier that you've got a team series that you sell and fantastic resource. And so if any of our listeners want to get in t- contact with you about that, you've got just tons of different stuff. And again, it's all based on individualization in the team setting. So talk to us about, you know, uh, just a little bit about that. Yeah, so the team series was really just putting our training plans that we'd been doing for years on paper and also getting the drills on video and putting them in one place. So so we were able to help guide coaches that, you know, that have that team that want to do their vitals work, that want training plans, that want drills and also a way to organize it into a way that it's it's really easy when you're setting up a training plan. So the team series just goes through and explains in a PowerPoint explains, you know, the reasons why we did our vitals work and, and why that we were, you know, felt that the old way of the traditional way of an offensive practice was unsuccessful. It goes into training plans of what we do in the fall, what we do in the preseason, what we do in season, it has all the drills listed in there, how to set them up for a week, and then videos of all the drills like I said, broken into the different folders, rear leg, connection, hand pivot, and uh, the timing of the upper body load, and then a dynamic adjustability uh, folder so that you could really just take the training plans and say, okay, here's what we're, here's the objective for today. Let me go through and pick out some drills and plug and plug those in. We have three T stations and two PVC stations and one live station. And then it's very easily to, to rotate your team through that circuit. The other thing that the team series does for coaches is it allows you to have some routine in the off season that will really save you time and effort in season. Once the team gets pretty adept at setting up these sessions and knowing the drills, then when you set up your training plan before practice, they they go set up the stations and, and now you're just really monitoring that. Uh, going back to grouping, when we talked about it earlier, you know, you have your 
you know, your shortstop and your second baseman, maybe they've always been taught to swing down. So you can put them in the, in the same group together, your center fielder too. They're fast guys. They've always been taught to swing down, hit the ball on the ground and try to get an on high on base percentage. They're not going to need to work on the same things that your big donkey at first base and third base need to work on. Those big donkeys already create a ton of power and a ton of lift, but they can't hit a breaking ball to save their life because they fly open on everything and, and they don't have any adjustability. So it, it really helps, you know, plan those practices and those training sessions out so that each hitter or each group of hitters is really focused on what's going to make them better. And then taking that one step further, when we go in season, and especially we did this when we would go and, and scout for the playoffs and the state tournament, okay, we know we're facing this guy that's 94 from the left side. Okay, what set of drills are going to make us more successful against a power fastball? What, what's, what drills are going to make us more successful, successful against that soft lefty who throws everything on the outer half and everything is slow, slower, and slowest? Those aren't the same drills that we're going to want to focus on when we're facing 94 power arm. So it really helps you really personalize your, your sessions to make the team more successful and prepare for a certain team or a certain series or a certain pitcher. Or maybe, you know, your whole team is, you know, we're really struggling with breaking balls right now. We're just having a really hard time. We're flying off of breaking balls or we're not hitting them with any you know, any sort of power. So now you can, you can kind of go in there and tailor your training sessions and your vital sessions and all of your drills are really focused on, okay, how, what's going to make us more successful against breaking balls. Definitely. Now, is there a huge difference in the focus from the off season to the in season, or is it more in the off season? We're just trying to build our swing up a little bit. And then in the in season, we're trying to help our swing compete more i mean can you dig into that for us yeah i think i think you nailed it i mean in the, in the off season we're really trying to find you know build the foundation build the understanding um for the swing um one once you build the good foundation hopefully when you get to you know preseason and in season there's not major changes that you're going to make if you build the foundation properly there's little tweaks that you're always going to have to make hey we're going to move our hand. You're, maybe, maybe if you move your hands down a little bit or up a little bit, you know, little tweaks that you can make um, to help you feel some things better. But yeah, really, the the off season is building that understanding, building the foundation, building the routine that we're going to work on. You know, these aspects of the swing every day. Every time we hit, we're going to do drill work. You know, and making them understand that if it's important, that we're going to do it every day, and that we're going to have you know, we're going to focus on it and we're going to make them accountable for it. And then, yeah, like you said, in season, you know, we're not making huge changes, but we are making adjustments all the time. You know, every time you take a swing, there's an adjustment that you probably can make. So whether it's a mental adjustment or a physical adjustment. So yeah, that's, you nailed it on that. That's, that's really what we're trying to do from the off season to, you know, in season. No, I love that. But say a coach is out there listening today and is trying to implement something similar in his program. Is there anything that you've come across that you have either cut out or added that would help save us some time? Oh, that's a tough one. There's a lot of stuff. <laughs> There's, I would say over, over everything that we've done, the biggest thing is not to be stuck to any one set of training plans or ideas. But to always be open to improvement, making it more efficient 
for, you know, your program, your players, you know, your facilities mm-hmm. is huge. When I teach the team series and train um, coaching staffs on the team series, I would love to go to their facility and train them in their place because it's not a cookie cutter deal. You know, we have we only have two cages and then a field, but we have a ton of space around our cages. You know, maybe you only have an indoor facility, so that's going to change how you set it up. But not being not being stuck to one. Hey, this is the way that Trent did it, and this is the way Zona Baseball did it, or Greenway High School did it, and and that's the only way to do it. That's not the case at all. But just being open to say, okay, what's the most efficient for us? How much time do we want to spend on this? For us, we wanted to spend half of our practice in hitting. So if we could score a bunch of runs, we're going to win a lot. We're going to win a bunch of games. So, and I pushed for that. I always pushed for more time for our head coach. So we, you know, we got to where we could spend at least an hour and a half, sometimes two hours in, in with our offensive side of it. So we spent about 45 minutes to 50 minutes with our vitals and just our drill work, because we found that that was important for us. Now, does that change when we get into the season? Yeah. We're not going to maybe, maybe we're not doing you know, quite as many drills because like, like you said before, we're not in that, in that position where we're building the foundation anymore. We're just reemphasizing stuff and making small adjustments. So now, now maybe we're only spending 25 minutes on our vitals and we're doing a little bit more execution or on the field stuff, but we're always doing our vitals work first to warm up the swing, to warm up the body, to do movement prep before we actually take full swings to swing at 50% before we swing at 100%. You know, things like that. Things that are really common sense in other sports, but for some reason, you know, traditional baseball practices didn't do that and so that's how we practice when we were growing up and then that's how we run a practice when we become coaches. Make sure it makes sense. Common sense is absolutely vital to setting up a training session. So, that's I guess that's the best way I could answer that. I really like that a lot. And I I don't know if you've run into this as well, but I love millennial age kids because they are extremely bright, but sometimes they can get paralyzed by overthinking. So talk to us about what you talk to your kids about in a game. So they just got out, they just struck out, whatever, and then they come over to you. What kind of advice are you talking about? What questions are you asking? And uh, go into some detail if you don't mind. Yeah, for me, I want them to be blacked out when they're in when they're in the box. I, I I don't want them thinking very much. And there's some studies that have shown that, you know, on major league hitters versus amateur hitters, the the part of the brain focused on decision making isn't near as active as the part of the brain that's fo- focused on reaction. And that's really we want we want our swing to be such that it's that we trust it so much. And that we can launch it based on a reaction, not anticipate, not anticipation. So that's really what we're trying to do. And, and when, you know, we get a strikeout, you know, a hitter comes to me, Hey, you just struck out. Maybe it's a second strikeout. And I, we just talk, what are you thinking? What were you looking for? And if, if there's way too much thought going in there, then I know exactly that he was anticipating too much instead of getting into the position where he can be reactionary. And that's, you can't you can't tell me that in a big league in a big league game that you could see 98 on the inner half and then you know a slider at 84 on the outer half 
and that you just automatically are thinking about, oh, okay, that's not 98 on the inner half, that's 84 on the outer half, and it's a slider, and now I'm going to take this swing to it. Like that, that doesn't happen. There's not enough time for that process to go through. It's eyes transfer the message. So the, the visual, se- the sensory transfers the message and your body reacts and responds to it in a reactionary form. And so to me, that we got to have a swing that's built on reaction. And so that's what, that's what we're trying to do more than anything is, is just get to the point where our swing can be dictated and launched by our brain in a reactionary form, not an anticipatory form. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I love that a lot. Something that I've asked in the past, which helps some kids, is were you on time, early or late, and did you feel like you missed it above or below? And just making it something simple as that to make small adjustments. Uh, But like you said, just getting them to a point where they're not trying to think about it too much. And I think that that's an issue that we run into a lot with, you know, you hear the kids nowadays, but being realistic, they're extremely bright and they probably think about it too much instead of going out and playing and trying to analyze everything. And so I, I really liked I really liked your set of words, your set of questions that you're talking about and, and blacking out in the box, just go just go have fun, go compete and and then we'll worry about the rest in the process. So that's really good. Yeah, the old what is it? It's an old football adage or whatever that says the hay is in the barn, right? You spend <laughs> all your you spend all your week in preparation and you know, and all your in all your week and you know, figuring out what they're going to do to you. And then once you come to the game, the haze in the barn, like trust, trust your movements, trust your training sessions, trust what you've been doing, go up there and get a pitch to hit and launch at it and, and trust that your launch is going to be what you've been working on. That's, I mean, really, that's all you can do. And then at the end of the day, after every swing or at the end of your, you know, at the end of your game, go back and reevaluate. What was I, what was I doing there? You know, was, was I looking for a breaking ball and a fastball count? Okay, well, maybe that's not the right thing I should have been doing. Maybe I didn't build that trust. Maybe I didn't trust myself enough. But yeah, I, I think that being able to trust yourself in the game is, is absolutely huge. I think, like you said, simple questions, you know, to them, helping them not to overthink it because there is so much information out there. And sometimes, it, you know, you do overthink it and, you know, you go back to these players in the 40s and stuff that were so successful as hitters in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. You know, they, they weren't thinking about it near as much. They just hit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And whatever they were thinking made them successful as hitters. And so sometimes you just go hit. You know what I mean? Just go hit and, and trust that everything that you've been, that you've been doing is going to make you successful in the game. And that doesn't mean you don't make adjustments. Um, timing wise, like you said, if you're early or if you're late or whatever, but, uh, yeah, just being able to build that trust in training sessions so that it'll transfer to the game. Well, talk to us about your own personal education and what is something that you've learned lately that you're really excited about? So lately, I guess we've been doing a lot of work at 50% effort. I want to be able to create power at 50%, even though I'm not trying to put a ton of power into it, if that makes any sense. I want to be able to feel connected, being able to hand pivot, being able to feel like I can get a powerful load, even though I'm not trying to hit a ball, you know, necessarily over a wall. So we've been doing a ton of that. I mentioned before getting either PVC work and or TheraBand work and forcing them to do the forcing them to do the wrong movement or trying to get them 
pulling them in the wrong movement and having them fight against that. I think that's huge. Been doing a ton, a lot more work in posture. And not only, you know, we, I've always taught posture and, and how vital it is to being able to launch in the right direction towards center field, but, and not flying open, but, but also building that strength and posture and having them feel that a little bit better, feel their core muscles work a little bit more, you know, getting them in that posture position and taking a lot of swings and trying to stay there a lot more barrel control. So when I changed from, Hey, the traditional way of teaching hitting to, Hey, you know, we're trying to get the ball in the air more. Um, I think a lot of the times as coaches, we just, we don't ever want to hit a ball on the ground in training sessions, but I think that hitters need to be able to do that. They need to hit, be able to hit a, you know, a power ground ball, a ball that hits off the back of the dirt to the second baseman, not for the sense of that's what we want to do in the game, but for the sense of you should be able to do that. You should be able to hit a ball down the left field line, down the right field line in the left center field gap and the right center field gap. Because when you get to the next level, whether it's college or pro ball or whether you're moving into high school, you're going to be asked to hit and run. You're going to be asked to move a hit, move a runner over from second base with, with nobody out. So you have to have barrel control to be able to be a successful in-game hitter. And, and that's not always just, you know, smashing a ball in the right center field gap. Obviously, that's what we want to do. But you also have to know know your hitters and know the fields that you're playing on um, and understand that a little bit of barrel control goes a long way to whether you're trying to elevate a ball or hit a ball at a little bit of a lower angle. So in Arizona, you know, we had, we had a relatively small field as our high school field. But then when we would go to the state tournament, we would play on the spring training complexes. So obviously they're a lot bigger, um, a lot more expansive in the outfield. And a lot of our guys, if we hit a ball in the air that maybe would carry out of our place, at the high school, it would get run down when we got into the state tournament. And so we did a lot more barrel control leading into the state tournament. And we call them stadium rounds where we're, we're not trying to hit ground balls, but we're trying to hit low screaming line drives that would maybe get into a gap that wouldn't get caught, that didn't hang up and didn't get run down. Um, and so just being able to adapt, you know, and have some barrel control is something that I think um, I've adjusted to um, a little bit more and uh, having the hitters understand how they have barrel control. And then the last one, not trying to make this answer too long, but oh, I love it. the last one, the, the last one is just understanding what we're trying to do fastball versus breaking ball common sense wise. You know, we were always taught growing up, you know, hit the fastball out in front and then let the breaking ball get deep. And when you think about it, like I said, I do a lot of stuff just based on common sense. If you're trying to hit a fastball out in front and a changeup or a breaking ball is going to be slower, it doesn't really make sense that you're going to hit that ball deeper in your stance. So understanding that just basics, basics physics, that if you're going to hit a fastball that's coming harder and then you have to adjust to a breaking ball, almost every time you're going to hit that ball further out in front than you're going to hit the fastball. So just training hitters to be able to back up the fastball a little bit in their stance and hit the fastball a little bit deeper and hit the breaking ball or change up a little bit further out in front has really, really helped with a lot of our guys in game timing and adjusting to breaking ball and change up because it just makes more sense timing wise when you break it down that way. 
That does make a lot of sense. And talk to us about your favorite resources that you either go to consistently or have had an impact on your coaching career. Oh, well, obviously, hitting Twitter has been huge. Um, there's so much information out there and, and uh, so many people putting so many, so many good things out there. Dustin Lynn's hitting drive has been awesome. You know, I go to that all the time and watch video and watch hitters. Craig Hyatt putting just swing after swing after swing on there that you could just sit there and watch for five minutes and you don't even realize where your time has gone. You're watching the exact same swing over and over again. I mentioned the, you know, some of the public or some of the books that, that I've read. Um, there's a book, uh, Joan Vick, Joan Vickers perception, cognition and decision training. Um, I got a lot of my constraint concepts out of that book, um, and understanding kind of how the, the brain works with the body, but not being stuck to any one concept is what I think hitting Twitter is so good about is that there's at least the people that I follow, I steal a ton of information and I'm not stuck to one type, you know, one basic swing module or swing thought or, you know, concept, but being able to say, man, I think this would be good for this type of hitter or this would be good for this type of hitter. And, and all that information is right there at your fingertips. And that's why I try on Twitter to a ton of information. I think in the past, you know, people were really reluctant to put out information because, you know, it, it was their main job and they were making money on it. And if they, if they held some things back that, you know, people would have to come to them for information and they could charge them money. And my whole thought was, look, if there's people out there that are searching out information, I want to give out as much as I can. Everything that I've learned, everything that, that I've experienced, the problems, the, uh, the successes that we've had. I want that all to be free information for people to go. If they're willing to go out there and search out information, if they're that hungry to do so, then I'm going to put out as much information as I can and as many drills as I can. Because when I was in college and playing, you know, independent ball, if I, if I would have had some of these resources, then I would have been a hitting fool as far as how much more effort and how much more work I put into it and how much more knowledge I could have gained if we would have had this access at our fingertips. And so I just want people that, you know, hitters that are hungry and that do want to learn and coaches that do want to learn, I want them to have some resources out there to go to, to be able to continue to grow and learn and not have to, you know, pay for everything and, and, and make it difficult for them to, to get any concepts or information out there. No, absolutely. And again, you are one of my favorite Twitter follow follows just because of the amount of information and videos that you put out. And like you said, for free, trying to help everybody. But talk to us about the players that you coach. If you had to ask, ask them, what is one thing that I do or that Trent does, Coach Otis does, that you guys love, what would they say? I think that they love the adjustability training. I think they love the, the games that we play. I, I, I try to, you know, put competition in every training session that we do, try to make it hard on them so that they understand that the games are going to be easy. And, you know, whether it's competition between me and them, I'll pick up a bat and we'll, you know, pick a drill out and try to hit as many balls off the top of the L screen as we can. And, and you know, you get five, I get five and we just compete and compete and compete. And, and it's just fun to it's just fun to have that in a training session. I think that they would say that they like doing that. They would love, they love constraints because like I said before, now it's, now we're on the same team. It's, it's me and them against this constraint. How are we going to, how are we going to beat this thing? What are, what are some of the movements, the adjustments, the feels that we can, that we can make? 
to get our way around this constraint and beat this constraint. And once we beat that constraint, obviously, um, the constraints are set up in a way that if we beat that constraint with the proper external goal, that we're going to be moving properly. And so I think that that's huge because they understand that I'm not there for every one of their swings. I I can't go to every single one of their games and I'm not going to, even if I did go to every single one of their games, I'm not going to be coaching them every single time they take a swing. They need to be able to feel what every swing felt like and know the adjustments that they need to make. They don't need to be reliant upon me to be a great hitter. And and that's why some of the constraints are awesome because they actually make the adjustments, feel the adjustments, and learned how to move their body differently to accomplish that goal. And now they've got it. Now they don't need me anymore. And and so I think they really feel um, the ownership of it and feel how that's going to make them successful in the long run, as opposed to man, I'm always going to have to go to to Trent to get my swing fixed. You know, I never want mm-hmm. I never want anybody feeling that. I love that. I, I think that that's a great mindset as well. And the last question before we wrap this up is what's the most useful coaching tool that you use either on a daily basis or you use a lot that you bought for less than $100? Um, so we said, I've said mirrors. I love mirrors. I love be, them being able to see what their, what their movements look like. So mirrors would be a mirror would be one, a full length mirror in the cages. Obviously, PVC pipes are invaluable. Use those every time we hit. Um, Therabands, love love the use of Therabands and, and the, the multitude of uses you can put them to work on. Um, and the other one would be a short bat. You know, the short bats are, you know, 30 or sometimes maybe even 40 bucks on the high end of it. I think the short bats are absolutely vital to making sure the hitter has a, a tight, connected turn and is, is being able to be adjustable with their, you know, with their body as opposed to their arms all the time. And, and so I love, I love short bat work and those are relatively cheap. So I, I couldn't pick one tool out of that, but mm-hmm. there's four right there with the PVCs, the mirrors, the therabands and the short bat. So, and I think that those are some great resources. So thank you for sharing those with us. But for our listeners who would love to get in touch with you, either just to talk some shop or to talk with you about your team series, what are some ways that they could do that? So Twitter is uh, Zona underscore baseball. Also Instagram, uh, Zona Baseball Instruction. Um, you could just search it. We have a website also for you know our scheduling and stuff in town. Our website has all my contact information, my cell number, my email. And then I think our Twitter handle and uh, Instagram as well all have all that information. And uh, send me a message, DM me. Most of the time I'm answering answering questions and people are always sending videos what do you think about this what do you think i could work on i'm always willing to help out people any if anything that they need so and if people are interested in the team series yeah just just get in contact and uh love helping other team coaches because that's that's where my background is and i understand that these high school and and college coaches that's that's their bread and butter you know they don't always have the 30 or 40 minutes that they can spend with an individual hitter so being able to take some of these concepts on how to make individual header, hitters better and, and being able to express them across an entire team is is, is going to be absolutely vital to their offensive success. I love it. And, and Trent, again, thank you so much for hopping on the mic. And I'm, I'm so thankful that, that we were able to make some time to get together and, and to share this with not only myself, but with the, the thousands of coaches across the country who are going to be listening to this. 
So is there anything else that you'd like to tell them before you go? No, I think that's it. I mean, I appreciate you having me on. I've listened to this podcast. It's awesome. Recommend it to to everybody to subscribe to it. And um, a lot of great information, whether whether it's on the offensive side of it or the defensive side of it, individual coaching or team coaching. I think it's it's awesome for coaches to be able to to listen and steal from other coaches. You know, that's why we all go to the ABCA is to to get some new ideas and to listen to other people's philosophies and be able to you know, steal a thing or two and being able to incorporate that and make our our team and our players better. I think that's what that's what makes good coaches successful is being good thieves from other successful coaches. So no, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. If you'd like to view the show notes or get in touch with me, you can find all of that information on our website at aotcpodcast.com or on the Texas High School Baseball Coaches Association app. Help us out by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show. But before you go, here's a quick word from our friends at Keeper of the Game. I am Keeper of the Game.